Welcome back to the conversations where we discover again and again where there's a will, there's a way, and where we learn how entrepreneurs around the world are creating a great life for everyone in the company. Well, welcome to another session with Where There's a Will, There's a Way. And remember, we are we are striving to make a great life for everybody in the company. So today we have a, a guest who's going to have an interesting perspective on the entrepreneurial operating system on EOS. This is <clears throat> this is Deem Royce, who is the founder of Royce and Associates. And Dean's going to tell you exactly what they do because it's a fascinating way to go about doing business. So welcome, Dean. I will. Good to see you. So tell us a little bit about what uh, what you do in your company. So our firm is a retained executive recruiting firm. We basically help find people so we can put the right people in the right seats. So as you can imagine, a lot of companies out there, a lot of them that are running on the U.S., need to you know, recruit and find good talent. We help them find those types of people and bring them on board and hopefully help them retain that talent as well. So so what have you noticed in in the past couple of years about staffing and finding these uh these senior level people that uh, you're tasked to do? Well, I mean, recruiting is really tough these days as you can imagine. I mean, there's a shortage, I would say a labor shortage to some extent mm-hmm. in the market and a lot of that has to do with I think COVID, a lot of that has to do with people choosing a lifestyle over work and a number of other factors are going on. But in general, uh, it's very, very hard to find good people. I mean, it's never been easy to find good people, but I would say in the last two or three years, probably been some of the hardest, most challenging recruiting I've seen in the market uh, in probably over two decades. Uh, so, so tell me about your relationship to EOS. Well, I was initially, you know, I was an EO, you know, for a very long time, I was on the board of the LA chapter. I was their membership chair for a number of years. So I kind of was informally running on e- on EOS for quite a long time, just because I was in forum. And at the time, uh, there were already a number of companies that were on EOS, and uh, a couple more in my forum. So we started using all the principles from EOS with the companies that were in my forum. And um, I learned about it. I started kind of using it within my own business to some extent and really becoming a uh, a big fan in terms of uh, telling a lot of my clients about it and hopefully getting them on board with it as well. And and uh, so what have you, you seen in working with other companies with EOS? What What changes have you seen as they've gone through it? Well, I think the biggest change I see is that they're just – a lot happier with not only their work life, but their personal life. I think that, especially with a lot of companies I deal with that are early stage companies, some of them are venture capital or private equity backed, their entire life revolves around their business. And I think that, you know, with EOS, not only does it help kind of give them a structure to align things a little bit better in their business, but it also gives them time for their own personal life at home, which I think a lot of them going into it don't realize is imbalanced. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and so ultimately they get, I mean, so they, they sooner or later get an ultimatum from their spouse, right? Saying, where, where have you gone? Where's, what are you doing with our family? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I used to hear about it in forum all the time when I was an EO and, uh, you know, half the battle is keeping kind of the home life, you know, going well and balanced with, with a work life. And that usually with early, you know, with entrepreneurs, is rarely the case, unfortunately. Well, what do you think gets in the way of entrepreneurs making that kind of balance? Because many of them, many of them, I think, are just really working for themselves. They don't really have a real business. What they do is they pretty much start, you know, their own business. Sometimes they grow it to a significant size. But at the end of the day, they're just still running their own business. They don't really have a real company that they're running. And because of that, really, anytime any decision needs to be made, anytime anything has to be done, it really falls on them. And they don't have the ability to you know, pass on those responsibilities to other people around them to be able to help them grow the business. Do you think that's because they don't want to or they don't know how? Both. <laughs> it's a combination of both. Uh-huh. I think they don't know how to. I, don't, I think they don't trust somebody else with their business to some extent. Um, and they don't know really, you know, how to go about doing it. So I think that EOS is a system that kind of helps those entrepreneurs understand how to do it in a way that they can gradually move into a process that can help kind of remove some of the weight off their back. And while at the same time, them not losing complete control of their company, which typically is their number one concern. Hmm. So there's a, would you say there's a fear there about losing control? I think so. I think it's a combination of fear of losing control. I think it's a combination of trust, not trusting anybody else with their business. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just all those things combined. And I think that many of them, you know, they've pretty much only been able to count on themselves during their entire, you know, business life. And so bringing somebody else in or bringing a group of people in that can start making some of the hard decisions that they have to make, they've usually had to make on their own for years, is not a trust bridge that they can easily cross right away. It takes time. Well, it it it, it might take time. It, um, I'm wondering if if they just don't know a system for creating trust with another human being. That could be true as well. <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah. That could definitely be true as well. I mean, so so in a sense, they're they're kind of caught by their own success, their personal input, their personal decision making, their personal responsibility, and as they as the desire that they have to grow the company comes to be, then they're faced with doing more than what most human beings are willing to do in terms of time, resources, and money. That's absolutely correct. I mean, the biggest obstacle I see with many of these companies who are, you know, the company that's, you know, 10, 20, 30 employees, maybe doing 5 to $8 million in revenue versus the ones that are 100-plus employees doing 20 mm-hmm. to 30-plus in revenue, mm-hmm. the fact that founders or the founder or the visionary, they can get out of their own way and actually trust to hire people around them that are smarter than them mm-hmm. and listen to other people to help them grow their business. 
Well, that's interesting, uh, you know, because there are plenty of implementers around, and I know that EOS is, uh, many people know about EOS, uh, and, and a lot of people try to implement it on their own, but there's still lots of companies out there where the, the founders, the owners, the uh, are are struggling with these issues, and uh, it just it's just amazing to me that that they they don't reach out to 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 find a, a way of of sharing some of these responsibilities with people that they can trust. Right. It doesn't matter how great EOS is in itself if the visionary can't actually trust somebody else. You know, the tools that EOS gives them will not work if they can't actually trust other people around them. Mm -hmm. If they need to be the smartest person in the room at all times, it doesn't matter how great the system is. Ah, uh, oh, oh, so now what I'm hearing from you is there another part of this is their need to be the smartest person in the room, that I need to know more than anybody else in my company. Some cases, definitely. That's interesting. I once... I was, when I was was working with salespeople, training salespeople, I once heard uh, an owner of a company, a very successful company, and he wanted his salespeople to succeed. He sent them to to training, and and then as his salespeople got better and better, their you know their commission, the the cost of having that uh, uh, salesperson there went up because they were successfully selling. And when it seemed obvious that one or two of the salespeople were going to exceed, their commission was going to exceed the, the compensation of the CEO, he said, oh, well, we got to stop this because I never want anybody in my company to make more than me. And that was, that was like mind-boggling to that's me. That's right. It's like, wait a minute. That's absolutely, and that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that is not atypical at all. You know, I see it all the time. And that is one of the big things I see between the companies who stay at that small size because of the founder, the visionary being that way, versus the ones who actually want to just get out of the way of their employees and help them grow. And hopefully, they, they the best visionaries want their employees to maybe make more money than them, because that <laughs> means that their company is doing really well. Yes, yes. Right? And yes. at the end of the day, the visionary is the owner, so they have the full equity piece of the company. So one day when they sell it, right. they'll make their money. That's right. Right? It's not right. like their employees own the business. So it's kind of like that nearsighted outlook on things to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Well, I, it, it's, it's just very interesting to me, uh, you know, seeing the struggle out there, hearing. I mean, I, I, remember, I remember one time... Uh, a woman called me and said, I, I heard from a friend of mine that you you do something, I don't know what it's called, but you do something with companies that helps the the owner uh, to have more time for their family. <laughs> and I said, yes. Right. And she said, well, I'm right. calling you from Vail, Colorado, because my husband and I have been here with our families twice now and both times he has been on his computer a hundred percent of the time and never went skiing with us. And I'm sick and tired of that. Can you help me? And it was amazing. 
just absolutely amazing that that she could not get him to stop. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I did, I did uh, have a conversation with her husband and uh, we got that straightened out, got it worked out. And, you know, he is, he is, he is uh, uh, coming back to work now from a vacation. I heard this last year, came back to work from vacation and said, well, where's all the things that I'm supposed to be doing? Where's the, the, the uh, stacks of paper on my desk that I'm supposed to be reading? And the team looked at him and said, we took care of it all. <laughs> you didn't miss anything. <laughs> We're hitting right. all the numbers. There you go. And, and uh, uh, you, can, you can start running with us as soon as you're ready. But it's just amazing that we do have a system that will help those companies. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tricky to, to, uh, to wonder, how do I get through to them? How do I get through to them to let yep. them know that, you know, that, that you don't have to be that way? You don't have to be uh, have to be uh, missing your children's events, the baseball games, the birthday parties. You don't have to miss that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would imagine many of these visionaries after going through EOS and kind of having the revelation that you just mentioned, probably must ask themselves, what took them so long to figure this out? <laughs> right. How many years of their life have they lost, right. you know, not being able to spend their life doing the things that they really love? Yes. You know, why, yeah. why did it take them this long yeah. to, to get around to all this? Maybe, maybe the question I should be asking is, how many birthday parties, uh, how many of your children's birthday parties have you missed? Right. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, well, so now you have known about EOS and you've implemented it in your company. What has that done for you? Well, I mean, look, I think that even when I first got into EO, we were already implementing a lot of those principles. And that's one of the reasons I got involved with EO, mm -hmm. because I wanted to learn from other entrepreneurs and how to do things better. You know, I was a first-time business owner. And for the most part, I'm a solopreneur, you know, I'm a solo entrepreneur. And so I think it really helped me prioritize things. It helped me kind of put my life back in balance. At the time, I was, you know... When I first started my business, I got married within a few years after I started my business. So I had a lot of things going on in my life. And, you know, I had to figure out a way of how do I balance my work life with my personal life and how to kind of just make sure that, you know, I'm aligning my values with what, what, what I want to get accomplished both personally and from a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. And did that help you? Absolutely. Mm. It absolutely helped me. It absolutely helped me. And I, I'll tell you, you know, I grew up, you know, my father was an entrepreneur as well, but he took a very different angle. Uh, my dad had a business for a number of years, um, but he never left his job, meaning that he was an engineer. And so he had a regular nine to five job, but at the same time, he ran a business on the side, which was kind of like a side hustle. Uh. But he never left that. He never left that job. Mm. And I always wondered why. And the main reason, I think, was he couldn't get himself to walk away from the paycheck every mm -hmm. two weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was just too scared to walk away. And I think it was a double-edged sword because he obviously had kind of that uh, nest egg, and he, he knew that he'd always have money coming in. And, you know, so he, he had a more conservative approach. But at the same time, 
I think he never was able to flourish his business because he was always kind of, you know, working at a hat at a part on a part-time basis and didn't really want to go hundred percent all in mm-hmm. because of that. He kind of stayed in the corporate world his whole life and then, you know, retired eventually, but you know, his business never grew. His business kind of stayed always the same size and, you know, he finally sold it when he you know, retired, but mm-hmm. it never really grew t- to be much because never really wanted to take the risk of walking away from the paycheck and, and diving into you know, becoming an entrepreneur full time. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, well, let's talk a little bit about the EOS life. Now, the people that you have, have, have seen when they go through EOS, do you see them beginning to do what they actually love doing? I mean, I think that a lot of them, you know, they become entrepreneurs, I think, initially, because they think that becoming an entrepreneur and, you know, it will give them the time to do what they love doing mm. besides their job, you know, mm-hmm. or their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they think that it will, it will give them that flexibility. And really, they ultimately figure out, as we talked about earlier, that they end up just working for themselves. So... Many of them who figure out that they need a better system of how they go about running their businesses and learn that EOS is a good route to go, once they do figure that out and once they kind of implement the EOS EOS system, they really end up having a lot more free time with their life and with their families and their kids and everything else. So, you know, I see it all the time. You know, I see it all the time with businesses that. You know, the, the, the visionaries just been working 50-hour weeks, and they implement EOS, and all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but they, you know, they end up having a lot more free time to do what they love, whether it's their family, whether it's traveling, whether it's being with their spouse, whatever it may be. It seems like they have a lot more time to do all of that. Well, now, also, one of the things that... that that uh, we try to do with people is we try to help them to identify what their uh, what their unique ability is. As Dan Sullivan tells us, uh, uh, I heard somebody else, somebody the other day referred to it as their superpower. He said when he, uh, this is an EOS client, he said when he interviews people for, for uh, as, as a, a candidate to be hired, he wants to know what is your superpower? What do you really love doing in this kind of business. And and what he wants to do is find out what their superpower is and then find a place in the business where that's what they do is use their unique ability all the time. And and I'm wondering if that's part of what if that's part of what the founders really really find such relief. Not only they have time for their other passions, but they're also getting to focus on the things that they really love doing and are great at. And then they, they, they begin to delegate those things that they, they don't want to do, uh, the things that they're not good at, and, and maybe even begin to delegate the things that they kind of like doing and are good at, but they really want to focus on the things that they're great at and love doing, and, and then, then begin to find people and it's amazing to me how when that shift happens, how many people in the organization rise to the cause and begin to discover the opportunity to do what they love doing and are great at. And that's where the delegation begins. That's right. You couldn't be more right. I mean, 
half the battle, I think, is from the founder or visionary standpoint, trying to figure out what they're not good at, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because they kind of, because they kind of think they're decent at doing everything. And obviously they're better at doing some things than others, but being able to admit that, Hey, I'm not really that good at doing this. And it'd be better for me to hire somebody to do this for me. That's actually good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Just admitting that and, and going through that process alone is half the battle. Yeah. I've, I've seen some, some people who, who have that belief that they're the ones who are responsible for this company. Therefore, they want to be making all the decisions. And as the company grows, things become more complex. At the same time, as the company grows, the company moves into uh, more complex regulations. Uh, They move into more complex marketplaces, more complex sales uh, opportunities. And all of these begin to tax that 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 uh, entrepreneur or founder who at one time was able to handle all of these, but now the company has really grown beyond him in many in many parts of the business. But there's some things that he is great at and loves doing that it will never uh, outgrow him. Yeah, that that is absolutely correct, um, and that's why typically you know. Yeah. Most visionaries, most founders, what I've seen is they grow their companies to a certain size, whether it's 25, 30, 40, maybe $50 million. When it gets to that certain size, it becomes kind of beyond their capabilities typically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they're a first-time founder. And at that point, that's when kind of the institutional people start coming in the door. That's when the professional CEO gets hired. That's when the professional mm-hmm. CFO gets hired. because most founders are really good at running an entrepreneurial business. Mm-hmm. Some of them are not that good, but some of them are decently good, especially if they got the business up to $30, $40 million. But once a company gets to that size, once they get over $30, $40 million, it's no longer an entrepreneurial business as much as it's a company, a corporation. Mm-hmm. And it takes a different skill set to run a $50 million company mm-hmm. than a $10 million company. And it takes a different skill set to run a $100 million company than a $20 million company. Right. And so you typically see that changing of the guard multiple times during the spectrum of growth for a company. You know, there's usually the founder that's, you know, in the first stage. Then they usually bring in kind of that institutional CEO at the second phase, you know, around 50, 40, 50 million dollars. Then once it gets over 100 million is when they bring in that public CEO that's used to sitting on a board and mm-hmm. working with kind of, you know, the Wall Street and, and dealing with far more complex issues that uh, are typically beyond what the original founders used to dealing with. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then EOS seems to be in the place to help in this transition from the founder and a few, a few, maybe there's many assistants. I mean, he treats them like assistants, right? Go do this, go research this, come back, bring it to me, and then I'll make a decision. He might say, we'll make a decision, but the reality is, I'll make a decision. Uh, to move from that to that transition from that sort of leadership to the leadership where you have people who are capable of making decisions and taking responsibility and actually initiating uh, uh, ideas and solutions to problems. And when they can share that with each other because they have trust of each other, it just takes such a burden off of that of that, that founder 
and it doesn't stop the company. It doesn't slow it down. In fact, it increases the growth for the company. So it really is, a, I'm beginning to see that, that EOS is really a place uh, where companies make transitions. That is true. That is absolutely true. And it's a transition that's not easy to make. And I mm-hmm. think EOS is a phenomenal tool to help a company make that transition if used correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now, when we talk about trust, one of the things that I've discovered is is as people get the right people in the right seat, and by right people, we mean the people that agree with the core values that the leadership team uh, discovers that are their core values. And, and that's the right person. And the right seat means somebody is in a position where they, you know, they know what the, what the, the job is. They, they bounce out of bed in the morning do, to, to come do it because they love it. They want to do it. And then finally, have the capacity for it. You have, you know, finding those people begins that building of trust, because that means that that the founder can begin to trust that this person. We don't have to argue about core values. We have to argue about behaviors because they're living out the core values that that I want them uh, to have. Uh, and that's how they got selected is because of the values that we discovered and articulated and began talking about. At the same time, the people who are working with the founder also are in the right seat. And all of those things begin to build that trust, that ability for somebody to trust that when they say they'll do it, it gets done. And I don't have to go micromanage them. I don't have to chase them down because if if they're not the right person, we're going to make them available to the industry and find people who are the right person in the right and put them in the right seat. Then we're actually getting the getting to do what I love doing, those things that I'm great at and love doing, and I'm delegating the rest of it to people that I come to love over a period of time. That's how those first two parts of the EOS life come to be. So we're only doing what we love doing with people that we love. And 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 then right. Right. then that helps us clarify why we're really in business. And while it's it's yes, it's to make a profit for somebody, it's also there to make a contribution to making the world a better place, to help people get what they want, right? That's true. And I, I would imagine if you ever surveyed companies, the ones who probably the visionaries, the employees who say that they love where they work and they love working together, I would imagine are far more um, successful versus the ones who are not very happy with their working and do not care for each other in the workplace. Right. Right. Yeah. Trust and love goes hand in hand. Yes. In many cases. Yeah. And and helping people also to see how, what they are doing, uh, you know, the, 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 the programmers, the, the button pushers, the nail pounders, helping them to see that what they are doing is actually helping the company along the way to making the world a better place, to offering to customers and clients those things that they want, and that's what they're seeking. So when they find a company they can trust to buy from, you're, they're making the world a better place. It's easier to easier to 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 be in business with each other when we can trust each other, and so. We're doing what we love with people we love, making a great contribution. And then we're going to get everyone 
compensated appropriately. They're going to be getting compensated relative to the value that they bring to the company. And if they can find a way to bring more value to the company, then they're going to get compensated at a greater rate. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. I think you see it quite often in positions like sales that are very, you know, driven, performance-driven type roles mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. the more the better you do, the more you get paid. But the question always lies in how do you compensate people in operations or in accounting or other roles and product that may not have an, as an easy uh, number or, or way of assessing how their performance is actually affecting the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So I think I think what you were talking about is really smart because if you could find ways to compensate people for their performance and they can they can actually see that they're doing better when the when the company is doing better that really aligns everything and helps people roll in the same direction. Yes. And and I think I think a lot of I know a lot of my clients and I think a lot of other companies have have gone through a, a a little exercise of awareness that had to do with COVID, uh, but the exercise was, oh my gosh, I I don't think my people are going to be productive because they're all working from home now, and I can't trust that they're going to do anything at all. I think productivity is going to go way down. What did we find? We found that when you took care of your clients and they were remote, productivity goes up, and and that's. That's part of the uh, part of the learning is that no longer are we going to compensate people simply because they're sitting in a chair from eight to five with an hour off for lunch. We're going to begin compensating them relative to the results that they bring. And and that happens that happens for everybody in the organization when we just begin to apply metrics to it. And that was one of the great learning was, oh, my goodness. I'm now and I'm now comfortable because I can look at the results that people are bringing to the to the things that they agreed that they would do. And those results justify uh, my confidence that the company is going to continue to grow, even though we're remote now. You know, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with a managing partner at a private equity firm that's a client of of my firms. And we work with a lot of the portfolio companies. And one of the questions he asked me was, how many candidates do you think we lose by not allowing a lot of our companies to potentially allow 100% remote work from home? <laughs> like, How many candidates out there do you think are not interested in opportunities in our companies uh-huh. because of that, because we're being inflexible? Yeah. And I told them that at minimum 50%. Yeah. One, one, out, of every two, one out of every two people I'm speaking to in today's world, if the company's not allowing work from home flexibility, mm-hmm. most likely they're not interested. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's not, I don't think that's just because the person wants to work from home. I think that also indicates the kind of direction that the company is moving. Yeah. I think, I think it's an indication of, you know, does the company have flexibility? Do they, do they, put their employees' work-life balance as a priority? Mm-hmm. You know, is this the type of culture that the employee wants to work for? Um, you know, it's all those factors, you know. And, and in many cases, 
the, the individual, it's not just about working from home. They, they may have been already working from home for the last couple of years because of COVID. And they've just, that's how their life has been built at this point, you know, <laughs> with their family and their kids and everything else. They can't just uproot all that and just go start going to the office four to five days a week. They discovered. So they it's not even. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so there's, there's all those factors involved as well that they'd have to make major structural changes to their home life to even be able to go back into the office. Right. They discovered they have agency, that they can take responsibility for their own lives in a way that they haven't had to do that in a long time, if ever. And, that's and right. that, that's, uh, that's, I think that's going to really affect businesses. Well, what did the, when you told him it was 50%, what did he say? Well, he said, we're going to have to relook re- at some things. <laughs> because, you know, he was wondering, Yes, you know, he was wondering why, we were having challenges recruiting for some of his companies. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I was just very honest with him. I said, look, if you guys don't get, have more flexibility, we'll work, work from home. There's a lot of people. And I told him that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as the process went along, we started recruiting for some of his companies. You know, he saw we weren't getting as many candidates as we typically had. And mm-hmm. he was just wondering why. And I, I had to be honest with him about it, that, <laughs> the world has changed, and either you change with the world or you get left behind. Yes, and that's what I'm looking forward to because I think that's where it's going to change businesses dramatically. Uh, it's it, I've already seen it happen. Well, well, this has been very interesting, Dean. Uh, I really thank you for, for spending time today talking about these things because these are real issues. Uh, what, what I find so exciting about EOS is I don't – I'm not trying to sell anything to anybody. What I'm looking for are people who are looking for solutions and and want some help. And then I can show them the system that will help them uh, learn to move in the next into the next level in their business where they really begin to trust people and delegate so they can elevate their own life and and find that they can do only the things that they love doing with people that they love and wind up with with time left over for their other passions and their family. So I really appreciate you being here. Tell us a little bit about why somebody should call you for recruiting. Well, I think first and foremost, if they need to find the right person for the right seat, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's number one, but uh, you know, look, we get brought in typically when a company is going through a transition period, whether it is they've been recently funded or they want to grow or they simply want a better life. Like we were mm-hmm. talking about, the visionary wants more freedom. Mm-hmm. And so what my firm does, we help them figure that out. We've helped them figure out like who they need to bring in, how to hire that person, what the compensation may need to look like. We help them basically take the chains of entrepreneurialism off and help them really start living their life and enjoying their life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. Now, if somebody wanted to talk with you, how would they get in touch with you? They could just call my office. Uh, my office number is area code 310-413-6601. Well, this has been great. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to be with us today. And, and this is just another example of how businesses are changing today. And, and, and people might think that it's difficult or maybe even impossible, but we know that where there's a will, there is a way. And we're looking for ways to help everybody in, that com- in every company 
to find that ideal life that's going to support them and their family and give them the kind of things that they really want to have. So just another example of how we're moving forward in this post-COVID world. You have been listening to Where There's a Will, There's a Way with Will Christ. If anything resonated with you, you can find tools to help you and your leadership team create a great life for everyone in your company at willchrist.com. Come and join the conversation at willchrist.com.